Hey, good morning, and uh, welcome to River Glen. Welcome, everybody. Good morning, everybody over in Pewaukee and online. Great to have you with us, and uh, hey, good morning, everybody here in uh, Waukesha. Before I get started, just a couple things I want to tell you about. Number one, uh, three of our ministries, Edge, Unite, and Alpha, baptized a total of 17 people this week, this last week. Isn't that great? Yeah, let's give, that, let's give God a hand. Uh, that's fantastic. That's uh, awesome. And also want to look at next weekend, we're beginning a new series called uh, The GOAT. Uh, anybody know what GOAT uh, stands for? Uh, greatest of all time. Yeah. Uh, people like to debate who's the GOAT in sports. Well, next weekend we're going to begin a series and we're going to look at the greatest scripture of all time, the greatest chapter of all time, Psalm 23. And I think it's going to be a really good series, and uh, you don't want to miss it. It'd be a good series to invite a guest uh, to come with you. Now, today we're wrapping up uh, Hills We Die On. You know, we've been talking about core values, convictions that we embrace as a uh, church. And, you know, of course, I think every series that we do is important. This one just seems maybe a little more important because this is how we believe God has called our church. This is who we are and what we're all about. These are hills uh, that we uh, die on. And I want to get started by uh, having you think about a door. You know, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of doors. I see a lot of doors. I see a lot of signs on doors, especially this past year. And signs can be really helpful. You know, like this sign, you're trying to find your way, and you're like, oh, good. Now I know my way. Now I can find my way uh, out of here. Other signs uh, tempt you maybe tempt you to do something wrong, tempt you to do something uh, bad, uh, like this sign, you know, right here. Ooh, you know, I got to touch it. I got I to gotta do it. Last weekend, we went to Minnesota to celebrate our, uh, our son's graduation, and we took him to his favorite restaurant to celebrate his graduation. We drove about 25 uh, minutes uh, to get there, but when we walked up to the door, that's the sign that we saw. It didn't even occur to me to call ahead and see if they would have a table uh, for us. Sometimes signs can bring some relief. Maybe you're squirming and you're feeling really anxious, and then you see that sign right there, and you're like, oh, good. I am so glad to see that sign. Sometimes signs can make you feel unwelcome, you know, because somebody puts up a sign uh, like this one right here. Sometimes they get a little more detailed about it and put a sign up like this, and there's some small print. It says private property, hunting, fishing, trapping, or trespassing for any purpose is strictly forbidden. Violators will be prosecuted. The problem is you've got to get so close to read the fine print that by then you've already been tased. <laughs> Signs can also make you feel like, whoa, this is an exclusive kind of place, a sign like this right here, you know, authorized personnel only. Or maybe you're looking for a place to eat, and you think, oh, you know, that restaurant looks good. Let's go over there. And you walk up to the door, and you're like, ah, oh, can't go in. Uh, members only. You know, you got to be a member uh, to go in there. And then some signs are just more direct and more blunt <laughs> about it, like uh, that one. Well, over the years, I've come to realize, I've come to notice that churches have signs on the door. Not Maybe not literally, but figuratively. There are some churches you go into and you can sense a message on the door. For instance, maybe you sense a sign on the door of the church that says, who are you and, and what are you doing here? Or maybe you sense a sign that says, you need to go home and change your clothes and then you can come back here. Or maybe you sense a sign that says, you know, your skin's the wrong 
color. You know, go, go, to, an, go to another church with people of your own kind. Or maybe you sense a sign that says, if you've got uh, doubts, if you've got questions, if you're a skeptic, take those someplace else because we are already convinced here. And questions and doubts are not uh, welcome. But you know what? Here's the only sign that belongs at the door of, of this church. And that's this sign right here, a welcome sign. You're welcome uh, here. It doesn't matter if you're old or young or single or married. You're welcome here. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive or where you live. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. You're welcome here. It doesn't matter what uh, your past is like, what mistakes you've made, what failures you have, or what challenges you face. You're welcome uh, here. Uh, because church, this church, is for everybody. The church of Jesus Christ is for every, everybody. And uh, maybe you say, well, how do you know that, Ben? Well, there are many scriptures that make this clear, but since we've anchored this series in the book of Acts in the New Testament, I want to show you a verse from the New Testament book of Acts where Peter preaches to a crowd of thousands and thousands of people. And this, this uh, statement he makes leads to the spectacular launch of the church. These people have just crucified Jesus. And look at what, look at what Peter says to them. Everyone, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 3,000 people respond in that moment and get baptized. And the church begins. Look at how Luke, Luke describes how this church had a, had a door that swung wide open that welcomed everybody. He said all the believers were together and had everything in common. They all united around Jesus. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They helped everybody. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I love this line, that they enjoyed the favor of all the people, of every, everybody. This, here's what this means. People liked the church. You know, if you read Google reviews on the first century church, they didn't get one-star reviews. You know, nobody said, well, oh, they're cold and unfriendly and uncaring and judgmental. No, they got five-star Google uh, re re reviews. I'm so glad that they're here. They are so caring. They are making a huge difference in the community. I love to be around them. People on the outside of the church wanted to get on the inside. And that's why it says in the last verse, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This church welcomed everybody. Uh, take a look at this uh, diagram. I think this reveals the heart and the core values of this uh, first church. It says they met in the temple courts. Temple courts were large area, like a football field, kind of like meeting in the temple courts is kind of like our weekend services. And they also met in homes like we do for life groups and, and small groups. And it says they served needs in the church and in the community. And they focused on the one. They prayed for their one. They, they reached out to their one and it drove uh, their church. And this is the model that we follow today. We call it the three C's. Celebrate, connect, and uh, contribute. And so this church got off to just a fantastic start in Acts chapter 2 and reached thousands and thousands of people. But I want to fast forward 20 years to Acts chapter 15. 
And I want to show you how this church began to drift and forget who they were and what they were about. And this is really important for River Glen Church today because we're about the same age as a church in Acts chapter 15. We turned 24 years old in March. And as churches age, it is so easy for us as individuals to forget who we are and what we're about. Here's what happened in that early church. All of them came from a Jewish background. I mean, for instance, uh, Peter, Paul, and Jesus, they all grew up Jewish. And some of the believers in the church in Jerusalem began to believe, you need to become Jewish first and then become a, a Christian. But you know what? That was like hanging a, a sign on the front door of the church that said Jews only. And it made it difficult for, for people on the outside to come and find uh, Jesus. And it led to a conflict in Acts chapter 15 because Paul, the Apostle Paul, had traveled around the world, traveled to different places and started churches. For example, he started a church in the city of Antioch where people uh, put their faith in Jesus without adopting Jewish practices. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Here's what it says. Certain people came down from Judea, came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's where Paul started a church. And they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And so these believers come from Jerusalem uh, down to Antioch, and they tell the people, forget about what Paul told you, okay? You need to be circumcised to be saved. Now, circumcision is a, a common, very common medical practice uh, today when a, when a baby is, is born. But back in the first century, it was a much, much bigger deal. It symbolized God's people, and not just for babies, for adults. If you wanted to become Jewish, you had to be circumcised. And notice these Christians, I mean, they're not, you know, recommending it. They are requiring it. You, you must be circumcised uh, to be saved, which um, that's a pretty high standard. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Uh, some of you are, are, are unsure how to respond or, you know, what to think uh, about this. Uh, I hear some, I sense a little nervous laughter um, in the room about this uh, subject. You know, I imagine uh, the men uh, driving to the temple courts in their minivan with their wife, uh, dropping their wife off at, at church, and the husband says, you know, honey, uh, why don't you go ahead and go to church? I know you love, you know, the church. I'm going to sit here in the van and think about it. Um, I'm going to sit here with little, uh, little Johnny here, and uh, we're going to subscribe to River Glen's YouTube channel. Yeah, we're going to watch church online uh, today. Uh, can you imagine, can you imagine how difficult it would make it today, I mean, to invite somebody uh, to River Glen Church? You know, come to River Glen uh, Church and, uh, you know, have this minor surgery, and uh, you can be saved, and you can even sign up for the surgery um, online, and uh, we'll, we'll have that done <laughs> for you. I think it would make it really difficult to invite our ones uh, to church, uh, wouldn't it? That's a pretty high uh, standard, and it leads to some major conflict in the church. It says, this brought uh, Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Remember in Acts chapter 2, the church began in Jerusalem? Uh, Jerusalem's like the headquarters 
of Christianity. And so Paul and Barnabas, they travel to Jerusalem to meet with the church leaders to try to resolve this disagreement. Paul and Barnabas taught that everybody who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. It's Jesus plus nothing. But these believers in Jerusalem say, no, no, no. It's Jesus plus circumcision and Jewish practices. Here's how this meeting goes. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees uh, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, what are the Pharisees doing in this uh, meeting? Some of you remember how Pharisees uh, opposed Jesus. I mean, they constantly tried to trap uh, Jesus. Well, apparently, some of the Pharisees have become followers of Jesus. They have converted and become part of the church. But they want to blend the practices of Judaism with the teachings of Jesus and make it for Jews only. And so Peter stands up at this meeting and Peter explains how he saw non-Jews called Gentiles uh, accept the message of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, which proves they don't need to be circumcised. And he goes on and he says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to uh, bear? Uh, Peter says, if you put this burden on Gentiles to have this uh, surgery, he says, you are testing God. Uh, In other words, you are working against God because God wants everyone to be saved through faith in Jesus uh, alone. Now, notice this word uh, yoke over over here. A yoke was a piece of wood. They would put it on oxen while uh, while they plowed the field to control the oxen. Peter says the Old Testament law, which contained over 600 laws, including circumcision, he says the Old Testament law is is, is like a yoke. It's like a a burden, a burden that even a good Jew could not keep. And he says, why would we want to put this burden on new believers in Jesus? And look at what Peter says. Peter says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Grace is this brand new concept. We're not saved by the good works that we do. We're saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus. We're saved by the work, the good work he did on the cross uh, to make us right with God. And that's, what, and that's why the door of the church swings wide open to welcome everyone. And then James gets up. James stands up and uh, he speaks in this meeting. And everybody gets quiet because James is not only the brother of Jesus, uh, James is the leader of the church in uh, Jerusalem. And James makes a powerful statement. In fact, this statement is so powerful. This is one of the hills that we die on. Here's what he says. James says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning uh, to God. And he drops his mic and he walks away. I want you to look at that because this is a huge moment. This is a pivotal moment in history. River Glen Church exists today because James made this statement. James' statement opened the door to the church wide enough for everyone 
to come uh, in. Here's the bottom line. If we're, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use the words of, of James. This is the hill uh, that we die on. We will not make it difficult for anyone who is turning to God. We're not going to test God. We're not going to work against God. We're not going to make it difficult for anyone who is turning uh, to God. And so I want to get real practical about this because if this is a hill uh, that we uh, die on, I want to try and put some handles on this. And I want to tell you about three common drifts that we need to avoid as a church and as followers of Jesus. Here's the first one, the drift toward insiders away from outsiders. And this is so important for River Glen Church because as any church ages, there is a natural tendency to focus on insiders. Because when you're on the inside at a place, when you're on the inside at a church, you know where to park, uh, you know where to get coffee, you know where to sit, you know the words to the songs, you know uh, other people, you know about the ministries and programs in the church. And we have a tendency to start to think that it's all for us. It's all about us. It's all about our preferences. A few years ago, I had a really awkward moment at a uh, McDonald's. I, I like to go to McDonald's in the morning, especially, and, and study. And uh, I, I like to go there when I travel, when I'm away from the office. And so a few years ago, I was traveling. I was away from the office, and, and I, uh, I got up early, and I went to uh, McDonald's. I'd never been to this McDonald's before. In fact, I was the first person there. And uh, I grabbed a table, I got some coffee, I set up my computer and started uh, focusing on my work. And then this older guy walks up with a tray of food and he sits down right next to me, which seemed a little strange to me because there's like 80 seats open and he sits right next uh, to me. And, and he wasn't trying to be friendly, he didn't say anything to me, he didn't even act like, you know... I was, I was there, and I'm like, wow, this seems kind of odd. And then a couple minutes later, somebody sat on the other side of me. And then somebody sat on the other side of them. Some of you know where this is going. Uh, apparently, this group sits together every morning, and they, they prefer the table where I was, where I was sitting. And so I didn't want to cause any trouble, and so I just gathered my stuff quietly, and I got another table on the other side of the restaurant. But it occurred to me how easily this drift toward insiders away from outsiders happens, not just in restaurants, it happens in churches, because we all have preferences. And you know, there's nothing wrong with having preferences. I have preferences, uh, you have preferences. Nothing wrong with preferring, you know, a, a particular group of friends or a particular seat or uh, a particular style of music or style of preaching or uh, certain ministry uh, programs. But when our preferences as insiders overtakes our burden for welcoming outsiders, you know what can happen? That can make it difficult for people who are turning to God. It's kind of like putting a sign on the front door of the church that says members only, insiders only. And this happens in many churches. But you want to know the best antidote for stopping this drift? It's real simple. You pray for one and you invite someone who is far from God to come to church with you. You, you invite them to sit next to you. And it will change the way that you view everything that we do as a church. 
It'll change your perspective, and it'll grow your faith. I mean, the best way to, for you to grow deeper is to invite someone to, to, to get to know Jesus. So we avoid the drift toward insiders, uh, away from outsiders. Here's the second drift to avoid. Uh, the drift toward rules away from grace. As churches age, they tend uh, to focus more on rules and less on grace. I'm talking about rules that, that we create as insiders that make us feel safe and protected and protect what we have. But sometimes those extra rules can make it uh, difficult on people who are uh, turning to God. And the antidote to this drift is grace, grace. That's why I love that song, that new song that we sang earlier, Come As You Are, Come As You Are. We actually put that uh, statement on our website, right on the front page, Come As You Are. Because, you know, we don't have any dress code here. You know, you can dress however you, you, you want. You know, if you want to wear shorts and flip-flops, you know, that's fine. If you want to wear a coat and tie, uh, uh, go for it. That's fine. Uh, come as you are. Just wear something, you know. Come as you are, but not right out of the shower, okay. Um, wear something. Come as you are, because we don't want to make it difficult on people who are turning to God. And that's why we don't have a rule that says that you have to be part of our church uh, to use our building for a wedding or a uh, funeral. Uh, we try our best to open our building to uh, weddings and, and uh, funerals because sometimes those are first steps that people take to find uh, Jesus. Some of you are like, well, doesn't every church do that? No. No, they don't. Especially as a church ages, it's easy to drift toward more rules and less uh, grace so that we feel safe and protected. But churches and Christians that are okay with the messiness of grace. They sit on the front row and they get to see the life change and the transformation that Jesus uh, brings. I read a story uh, about grace by a pastor and author named Kyle Eidelman from his book, Grace is uh, Greater. And the uh, story cracked me up because he and his wife were vacationing in Florida and they uh, rented a condo and they had to be out by 10 a.m. in the uh, morning. And so they had this checklist of all these things that they had to have done by 10 a.m. So they had to have the bed sheets off and the uh, dishwasher started. But at 10.05, they were scrambling around trying to get everything done when the cleaning guy came up and said, you're supposed to be out of here by 10 o'clock. They said, I'm sorry. We're so sorry. They grabbed all their stuff and they went, went down the three flights of stairs uh, to their car in the parking lot. But as they got to their car... The cleaning guy came out on the balcony and he yelled at them and he said, hey, thanks for pushing the bleeping button on the dishwasher. There's only a few things that we ask you to do and you couldn't find it in yourself to do that, to push the button. And this is where I really begin to like the story because I like stories about pastors that are a little bit on the uh, edge sometimes. And so Kyle Edelman looked up and he goes, well, that must have been really hard for you to reach over and push the button. So sorry to make you push the button. And then he gets in his car and he is stewing angry. And he says, I got to go and speak some truth to that guy. And, and so he gets out of his car. He starts heading up to confront this guy. And as he's walking up the stairs, he hears his wife uh, say to him, uh, be sure to say a prayer on the way up. He says, by the first floor balcony, he was embarrassed by what he was doing. 
By the second floor balcony, he was asking God to forgive him. And by the third floor balcony, he was uh, reaching in his pocket for a tip. But all he had was a $100 bill. And so he walked in the room and he saw the cleaning guy and he handed him a $100 bill. And he said, I just want to give you this as a thank you for all the extra hard work. I know it's hard when people, you know, don't do the little things that you ask them to do. And I know you're just trying to get this one done so that you can move on to the next one. And here's a little extra for your time. And this man who was vulgar and angry and hard-hearted, he teared up. And he said to Kyle Eidelman, I was not expecting this. That's grace. That's the messiness of grace. And we want to be a church that reaches out and invites people here who are far from God who, so that we can show them the grace of our Lord Jesus. I'm telling you, churches and Christians that are okay with the messiness of grace, they get a front row seat on the life change and the transformation uh, that Jesus brings. Here's the third drift, the drift toward preserving instead of advancing. If you've ever started something new, you have probably experienced this drift before. Uh, maybe you started a new business and you decided to risk it all. You decided to risk everything. But once you became successful, uh, then you uh, decided, you shifted to starting to protect what you have. And the same is true for churches. It was 25 years ago, this weekend actually, on Memorial Day weekend, 25 years ago, Marnie and I moved up here from uh, Kentucky to start River Glen uh, Church. And we didn't have anything. We didn't have a building. We didn't have any people. We didn't have any programs. We were like, uh, God, you can have it all. God's like, you guys don't have anything. Exactly, God. You can have it all. You can have it all. But now we have more. We've got a campus here in Waukesha, a campus in Pewaukee, an online community. And now we've got more to protect and preserve. But if we focus on protecting what we have instead of advancing, you know what that's like? That's like putting a sign on the front door of the church that says, members only, insiders only. And it makes it difficult for people who are turning to God. And that's why last fall a group of our leaders from our church went on a retreat for a couple days uh, to just pray and discern uh, how God wants us to advance forward as a church, fulfilling the mission of making more and better followers of Jesus. And so I just want to take just a moment. I want to give you a little glimpse of how we believe God is calling our church to advance forward by the year 2026. First, we want to see the church grow and advance in diversity. Not to be politically correct, but to be biblically correct. Heaven is going to be very diverse. And we want, as a church, to mirror the diversity in our community and the diversity of heaven. We don't want to make it difficult on anybody. We want to make it easier for minorities to find and follow Jesus. Diversity is a strength. It is a gift from God. Second, we want to advance digitally in the future. Many of you have, have connected with us uh, digitally on, online, and uh, we want to continue to be a church. We want to grow as a church, as a place where you can get connected and cared for online. We have groups that meet online. We believe this is going to continue to grow in the future. But I need to say that church 
is more than just a podcast. Church is more than information to consume. If I could speak for a moment to those of you that, that have not physically attended uh, one of our locations since March of 2020. I, I realize that there are some of you that have legitimate concerns about COVID-19, maybe because of your uh, age or other factors, and I want you to know we fully support you continuing to watch online. But there are others of us who, you know, we're going to Home Depot, we're going to Target, uh, Costco, uh, we're going out to eat at restaurants, our kids are, are back involved in, in youth sports. We're pretty much doing everything else in life. The one place where we haven't yet gone back is church. And uh, I want to invite you to come uh, back because when you gather in person and you worship with other believers singing together, there is something powerful about that. And there are no uh, distractions. You get to sit and have an hour between you and God. And I'm, I'm telling you, our souls need that. And our kids need a place where they can go and receive a, a message specifically designed uh, for them. But for some of us, we're just out of the habit. And I'm feeling it just as much as as you are, there's sometimes I get up in the morning and I'm like, you know, I don't want to get dressed and, and get in the car. I'll just watch online. And I would imagine if you have young children that, that that pull is even stronger. And so I want to encourage and invite those of us that really need to gather in person to, to get back in the habit. But for those of you who attend online on a regular basis, maybe you don't live near one of our locations, I want you to know that we plan to enhance this experience. This is the future of our world. More and more people uh, experience our church for the first time online. That's how people check us out. Online makes it easier for some people who are turning to God. And, and I want you to know that we plan to uh, enhance and, and, and create an environment and an experience for you to grow your faith online. And then we want to advance uh, numerically. You know, every number matters because it represents a person, a human being that is precious to God and precious uh, to us. I think about it this way. We want to make it difficult for people to go to hell. We want to make it difficult for people in Waukesha, in Milwaukee, in Pewaukee to go to hell. And so we need to make it easier for people to come to church. And so here are some numbers of people that we believe God wants us to reach through our, God wants to reach through our church by the year 2026. We want to double the number of people uh, that we serve on the, on the weekends and see it grow to 3,600. And we not only want to uh, grow our three campuses, Waukesha, Pewaukee, and online, we want to add a fourth physical location. We're not sure where we're, we're praying and exploring, but we would love to send a group from Waukesha, from people from Pewaukee and online to start a fourth physical location uh, somewhere by the year 2026. And we want to continue to help plant at least one church each year and continue to build one new house in the community each year. I want to ask you uh, to pray about this dream. And let's ask for God's help because we want to make a bigger impact for him in the future. And I want to challenge you to pray for one person. That's what we talked about the first weekend. Pray for one person that you can help find Jesus. You know, that's how we advance forward as a church. 
one person, reaching one person at a, at a time. And then when you reach that person, when that person finds Jesus, you start praying for another one. And we avoid these drifts. We go out of our way to welcome everyone. We show the grace of our Lord Jesus. We're okay with the messiness of grace. And we advance forward uh, together because the church of Jesus Christ is for everybody. That's the heart of God. And that's the heart of this church. We don't want to make it difficult on anybody who is turning to God. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the way that you sent Jesus to remove every single barrier so that we could have access to you, a personal relationship with you now and forever. God, we don't want to make it difficult for anyone who is turning to you because church is for everyone. God, we pray for our ones to know your love. We want to help our ones find and follow you. And so would you help us to avoid these drifts? Help us to, help us to welcome everybody and to show your grace and advance together just like somebody helped each of us find you. We want to make the good news about Jesus accessible to everyone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.